Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joe Overdevest joins us on today's podcast. Joe is Director of Research and Portfolio Manager at Fidelity Canada. For Canadian investors, Joe co-manages Fidelity Global Natural Resources Fund, as well as private pools, strategies for institutional clients, sub-portfolio manager on Canadian Asset Allocation Fund, and equities sub-portfolio manager on Fidelity Inflation-Focused Fund, a fund launched in September 2021 that aims to invest in securities collectively resilient to inflation. As Director of Research, Joe oversees a team of equity research analysts who focus on specific sectors, providing research and analysis to portfolio managers. Today, with host Pamela Ritchie, Joe looks ahead to autumn 2022 and trends in both Canadian and global markets. Joe reflects on different sectors and how rising rates and inflation may affect markets in the coming months. Today's podcast was recorded on August 9th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So delighted to see you. Happy August. Great to be here, Pamela. Happy August as well. Here we are, right in the middle of it. We have to sort of absorb all this right now. You know, speaking of dates, um, if we were having this conversation 12 months ago, and sort of talking about what companies are up against and, you know, what might be coming up for the fall, pretty different environment, eh? Oh, totally different. And uh, I would say it it was a Goldilocks scenario. I mean, you had monetary fiscal policy positive. Uh, a lot of money in the system then you had everyone had a job no one went bankrupt because you know the country said you know no one could go bankrupt in this environment because of you know obviously covid and um you had people with a lot of money their housing prices went up their stock values went up and they only could buy certain things we'll probably talk about this and so they're limited services so they're buying 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 they're clicking on things on their phone and it was a good environment but as you kind of walk through now you have some of that reversing and you have, you know, all of a sudden rates are moving a little higher. And now all of a sudden this inflation that's starting to show up in the system. And uh, now potentially you might have bankruptcies. You might have a credit situation. I mean, we haven't talked about credit situations in a long time. We haven't. And I mean, there ha- there's been some consolidation, but not that much, really. No, exactly. I would just take for granted you could get money whenever you wanted personally and, and company-wise. And you know, I'm sorry to say that is not normal. And at some point in time, you know, strong companies will do better. Weaker companies will do less well. Right, right. It's so fascinating, honestly, to take a look at this. I mean, you sort of wonder what kind of help. So so companies themselves are, are trying to figure out where where their balance sheets need to be. And investors are looking at those more closely. Investors, too, though, just need to sort of be thinking about a different set of things. I mean, how much harder is it basically to to pick a winner at this point? It's got to be trickier. Well, I think right now is that it seems like all companies are doing well. And I think, you know, we're about to you know hit rubber meets the road. And 
you know, one of the things we have to watch too is when we're hearing from companies and maybe for the viewers here, you might say, well, the company said earnings are fine, right? Earnings are fine. We have to understand that we, sit, we went through such a great environment. No one wants to put their hand up first and go, you know what? Things are really bad for our business because if you're the first person to put your hand up, that means you're the weakest company, right? Yeah. So you're, you're only halfway through the year. You're going to put it off. You're going to put it off as long as possible. I think for, again, the people watching, I know us as investment team, we're doing our due diligence. Just because a company says X doesn't mean we, we should accept that. And I think rubber will really meet the road when Q3 and Q4 come out and companies have to start actually making forecasts for next year. And you, of course, now you, in interest rates even rising, you get a delayed effect in the economy too, right? We have to understand that. Even some of these commodity prices moving up, there's a delayed effect. And so Q3, Q4 will be more telling. And again, I, I reiterate, don't actually listen to what they are saying, but watch what they're doing. One of the things the CEOs of many of these companies are doing are laying people off, small, but they are actually for the first time almost in a few years, laying people off or at least saying, we're gonna slow hiring. That is very strange. Last years, no one said that. And that's right. an indication where they potentially think their business is going. I think we'll probably talk about that further because it is such a, a big topic right now. We had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of people that you work with on the team. A lot of the equity analysts uh, joined Fidelity Cadex last week through the week before and so on. And, and they're obviously actively doing what you just kind of pointed out. You're the director of research, so you work with them very, very closely and they, they pass things up to you and you, you pass things around. Do you want to just kind of go through what's going on right now in anticipation for the fall? I mean, I don't know what kind of detail you can give us, but th this is an interesting time. Surely, like, you've got firing on all pistons here. Yeah, the, the analyst uh, team is all around here, obviously. And so they, they we joked, somebody said, try to avoid walking behind because we, we said we have to actually make it look like it's a normal <laughs> place. So it's more active than you think. But uh, there's nine Canadian analysts and 350 investment professionals around the world that we can lean on. And what are they doing is essentially what they've always been doing and essentially churning over rocks. And so there'll probably be a, almost every 30 minutes of the business day, a CEO meeting. The analysts will host that. I have a number of my, on my phone here where I'm gonna be going to later today. We're CEOs from companies from resources, technology, to financials. They'll host the meeting. They'll come back. They'll write a research note, discuss with us, you know, does this strengthen, does this weaken my thesis, does it change my numbers, do I have an income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement, forecast it out at least the next two or three years, they'll have upside, downside, and target price. They'll then say to the team, you know, should we be adding, should we be decreasing our position, should we keep it the same? And they're always trying to test that thesis with every stock, they, they actually write on the research note three to five points why this is a buy or sell. And again, you may have, some people may have heard me say this before, but this is back to the Peter Lynch days, is if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't know what you're talking about. So every note, even the very complicated companies, about three to five points, why this is a buy or sell. So it's very good in terms of times like this, you're always going back for the analyst testing that thesis. You know, something changing, is something getting better, is something getting worse? And essentially keep churning over rocks. And even today, we have meetings with companies that we don't own. We have meetings with companies from the US. And you're always just trying to find that ecosystem, trying to figure out what's going on, because I do think the bifurcation will start happening. Right now, it seems like last few years has been, it's been, it's, we, you should never say easier times, but they were good times for the financial markets. When capital starts getting pulled out of the system, rates start going higher, usually there's a bifurcation of the stronger, weaker companies in every sector. And the analyst team here, elite group, they're doing an amazing job, making our jobs a lot easier as portfolio managers.
let, let's talk a little bit about the idea of a how that research again furthers the idea of sort of a false positive. I think I think that's basically what you're saying. You know, it's it's what a company would say, and you know, it's their remarks after the earnings season and so on. But what are the pitfalls again at this stage in the market? I think is that you know the one of the pitfalls you have to watch is that I think we're all used to sometimes these like okay we had bad times and we have a V-shaped recovery, right? If you look back the last two major drawdowns the market, and the one that probably sticks in people's mind a lot is 2020 is like. Oh, we'll, we'll go down and we'll go right back up. And you know, sorry to say, but some of these downturns are not like a V shape. They are an L or they're a basing or like, you know, the, the economy needs to, you know, find its base. The market needs to find its appropriate valuation before we grow again. And usually during that time though, there actually is some big winners and some big losers. And, you know, that's where you really have to do a lot of work where the analyst team, you know, that's where the research notes are amazing. We, we, they do a, a great job and they're very humble when they come on here, but you know, they'll write in the research note, you know, this was the feedback from the CEO. He or she said this, this is my view. And that sentence there is worth its weight in gold. Where the, where the actual analyst says, you know, my judgment is I think that they're being too conservative or maybe being too aggressive. And I think that's very, very important. And, and that's one of the toughest things we bring these, you know, the, we're very lucky to get the best of the best when it comes to some of these students coming out of these schools. But it's one of the toughest things when they get here is using that judgment. Investing a lot of it is a gray area, and even judging CEOs and CFOs, you know, are they being too aggressive, or are they being not aggressive enough in the, what they're speaking about their business, and judging people. And, and over time, the analysts do a great job with that, and that's where sometimes you start making your positions before the CEO comes out and says, you know what, yeah, things are really tough for lowering guidance 30%, the stock's down. I mean, that's not so helpful. It's more, we want less reporting and more actual analysis. That's fascinating. Honestly, it is. Okay, let's take a look at sort of uh, with an eye to general diversification seems to be a way forward. I mean, to traverse this. Is that, I mean, is that agreed? There's there's sort of a, an opportunity to, to further diversify if investors are not already? Yes, yes, for sure. In uncertain times, I mean, you just don't know, you know, what will be, you know, in terms of strong or weakness, diversification at least gives you the benefit of surviving. So with that kind of in mind, I want to I want you to take us through, uh, you know, the the industries themselves, taking a look at the sectors. What what ultimately do we see as sort of winners and losers within? Um, should we should we start with energy? It feels like the biggest newsmaking story really of the year for lots of good and very bad reasons. Um, I don't know if you see this. Is there a bit of a bifurcation in the discussion of oil and gas at this point? I mean, it does feel like they are two different markets now. Yeah, I think, yes, I think Pamela, you make a good point. Normally, gas will move together. And for certain times, again, I'll review for people that, you know, gas didn't do as well a few years back when the Permian was really being drilled up because the gas was looked as almost like a, a byproduct no one cared about. And gas was pretty low. It was 2 or $3. Everyone kind of forgot about it. What's different now is your gas, you know, over $7, you know, oil, you know, near 90 is I think what's, you know, there's a number of things going on. But one of the more interesting things, the Ukraine crisis, the awful situation there is how Russia is responding. The Russia right now, for the most part, seems to be weaponizing or threatening more with gas and oil. And if you look at the chessboard, that probably makes sense. If you if you drive up oil prices, it hurts potentially, you know, Russia's friends being China, India. But if you also weaponize or threaten at least gas, you're more hurting uh, Europe, which is the, probably the region you want to back off. And so 
And again, they're not shutting off the gas, but they're just doing things like, you know, all oh, the turbines not here or like we need some maintenance. Essentially, it's like someone flicking the light switch for a country that relies on you to for, you know, a lot of things, including energy. That's scary. Right. And again, and one of the more, you know, again, scarier times here where luckily we stand, we sit in Canada, but Europe is openly discussing, you know, shuttering production or shuttering facilities. Essentially, what that means for people is like certain goods or certain jobs will be affected in the wintertime because they're planning for potentially the lack of gas, right? That's very, you know, again, we should be very thankful for where we are, but those are the times we're here right now. So exactly, natural gas has come up as definitely a, a better in terms of where it sits, and especially politically safer, it's like North America. Right, fascinating. Okay, so I mean, you expect to see prices reasonably high uh, on this front through through sort of the next. I mean, it's always a timeline question, but you know, how do you see the price of both of those commodities moving? I think with resources in general, if you did the buckets, probably in terms of supply and demand, the tightest would be oil, natural gas, then agriculture, and then lastly, probably more of the base metals. The base metals are more tied towards China. And China, you know, still is doing a, essentially a policy of COVID zero. And that means a lot of shutting down and going on and off. And it's not very good. And the metals in particular are more intensive for China demand. But when you look at, you know, supply demand, one of the biggest things we talked about even 12 months ago when you and I were doing this, or maybe six months, we do this quite often, is like I said, just watch the commodities because no one was really talking about the commodities is that it could be inflationary. And obviously we didn't see Ukraine crisis happening. But obviously that drove it even further. When we look at the next 12 months, one of the biggest things for commodities will be the same thing for the market, will be demand, right? The Federal Reserve in particular, but all central bankers are trying to take money out of the system and trying to take liquidity out of the system. And so that is slowing demand. That's how you bring down inflation, okay? So if you're bringing down demand, it's gonna slow down all sectors. And of course, commodities is one of them. So that will be the biggest driver. But for this audience here, I would say, when you look at the next few years, bigger questions you ask, we're meeting one of the biggest uh, oil companies right now here, uh, later today, in our offices in, in the world. And, you know, one of the biggest questions we'll ask is supply. And almost everybody's given the same response. There's no supply response. No Again, supply. we can give minutia about little companies adding a little bit here and there. But for the most part, there's not a major supply response across most of these commodities. So if demand does not come off in a material way, we actually will have a situation. So, you know, if, with the situation will be demand destruction. You'll have to find a price that people actually stop using some of these goods in some way. But for sure, the, the global economy, that's the most uncertain thing right now is the level of interest rates and, of course, subsequently demand for all goods. So, uh, so let's go from there into the financials, the discussion of, you know, for sure in Canada, it, it is what is tied to the housing market. There's lots of other questions within financials and how they make their money too. But what do you see there? I think normally when, you, you know, it's actually almost what the market saw, right? So in the beginning of the year, Canadian banks and, and U.S. banks did quite well, right? You know, rates are moving up and this is positive for net interest margins. And all of a sudden, the Canadian banks and U.S. banks have started to come off. And it, it, it's that subtleness of Goldilocks or a nice situation to a tougher situation. And for the financials, exactly, is that they like higher rates. But if higher rates are because inflation is too high, and also more importantly is that the market starts pricing and the rates are going so high that it actually leads to loan losses, that's a bad thing. And I think that's where, you know, normally financials, everything is to what degree? To the degree we're seeing interest rates rise right now, 
you have to give some pause. I don't think it's a you know a red flag at this point, but it's definitely a yellow flag for housing, right? We we have such a housing you know positive market in the U.S. and Canada. You know, it's probably going to take some of that boom off that rose there. And you know, the next question you're going to ask me is, okay, well, loans and, and losses. Well, the other thing too, I have to remind everyone. Normally, we've been we built all these reserves in 2020, and then we've been releasing them. Like you know, it's like it's like a cookie jar. We just keep giving them back and forth, and that's great. The cookie jar is getting lower, and and I know you know we may actually get to a point where I actually have to take credit losses again, and the opposite way, and that means earnings would go down. Now. The biggest thing usually for that though is jobs. If you don't lose your job, you're probably not gonna give up your home. So it probably means volume, loan volume or mortgage volumes go down, but actually taking massive losses, we're not at that juncture yet, but that's probably the biggest thing you watch for where the yellow flag becomes the red flag. And that's one of the positives of this market, of this economy. At this juncture, luckily right now, especially in North America, jobs are still a positive for the economy. Yeah, and it's something you come back to for sure. Um, insurance, the insurance, the insurers have uh, interesting things at stake as well. I mean, it's been a very interesting time for that particular area. What, what do you again? Do you see them sort of through the end of this year? They sometimes have international exposure, which has been a bit of a question mark for um, the earnings season, certainly. Yeah, so the insurance companies again, normally they they benefit from higher rates. I think the one thing you have to watch is insurance um, and banks, but especially insurance. They have a big book, a book of assets and liabilities, and there's been a lot of gyration in the markets right now, right? For a long time, there wasn't, and now you have high yield spreads moving. You have currencies moving a pretty good amount. You have certain countries, like you said, not, not doing well, some doing better. Asia's going through shutdowns. You just have to really watch that book, and you have to embrace that. You're not going to go everything in that book, and this is where the analysts come in to say, you know, we've done a lot of work. We went through all the book. We think these are the risks. And then we also we had to make a judgment call. Is this management a good allocator of capital? We're, out, we're an allocator of capital. We're a steward of your capital. We have to hand it over to someone else. And you want to make sure you know everything, but you won't know everything what goes on behind a company. So you have to make a judgment that is this CEO, is this chief risk officer, someone who's prudent? Because now, as Buffett says, the water's starting to go out now. And now we're going to see who actually has their shorts on. Right. And so... so I think in the life insurance spot, you really have to watch the books and that yeah, everything's been fine. You got to watch where the marks potentially could be. Also in the life insurance in Canada, some of the biggest growth was in Asia. That definitely is seeing some headwinds. Yeah, this is an interesting thing of the winners and losers, though, and the bifurcation. There is some winners insurance, and one of them would be property and casualty insurance. Is that actually home and auto insurance? And you probably have opened your home and auto insurance goes. Wow, that's a lot higher than it was before, right? And so they're they have pricing power, right? And that's one of the biggest things right now. Who has pricing power? And they reprice their book sometimes every six months, but usually every twelve months. Whereas a life insurance company, once they have to, you know, you you, you price, that's it. They have to eat it, right? And so that's a big difference there. And we're seeing some behavior, and we'll see if this this stays of autos. People are driving to work less often, and actually helps auto insurance companies because we're getting less accidents. That's fascinating. So I'm, why don't we just, there's also questions coming in about, about the geopolitical tensions in Asia and just ultimately how that kind of ripples through. You kind of mentioned it here just in terms of the zero COVID policy with China, the overall slowdown dynamic. I mean, I guess just layer on top of that, if you would, the geopolitical situation as you see it affecting companies, investors. I think the geopolitics is interesting is that, you know, you saw some headlines say of, you know, uh, chip supply in the U.S. And, and President Biden, of course, being uh, speaking live. 
is I think what's interesting about this, the Ukraine crisis, it was actually a wake up call for a lot of countries, right? You got, it, all of a sudden, who's my friends? Who's not my friend? And then where am I getting this stuff? That was number two question. And I think that was a real wake up call. Like, where are you getting your resources, energy in particular? Where are you getting your food? And then number three, I think was this, like in the back of everyone's mind, where are you getting your strategic metals, right? Yeah, like copper, nickel, but then there's a lot of these metals that we take for granted are in batteries or iPhones and chips. Where, where's even the chips being produced? And where are, you, are they on the map? Are they near friends or are they not near friends? And I think, again, I would just highlight like, like how sent, it shows how sensitive this is where you have Nancy Pelosi just landing a plane and like the whole world, especially China, was very watching it very, very carefully. And so the sensitivities of this is, is some of the greatest I've seen in a long time. And so I think for companies, like you, to your question, I think they're really watchful where their next plant will be. And if anything, I think I know you're going to go to this, is there onshoring? I think onshoring is definitely on people's minds for companies and, and more importantly, countries more than ever has. And and just the idea, it's not so much an onshoring, but as you say, just sort of counting up what you got in your backyard. And, and Canada has a lot of those things you mentioned. So I, I guess I'd be interested, I was reading an article just about how the Canadian currency is, you know, you don't want to look at the US dollar too closely next to it. But if you look at it sort of in a G20 context, it's got some strengths. The Bank of Canada has been has been raising rates and so on. So and we have all those things that you just mentioned that people are wondering, you know, whether their friends have those types of things or or not. Um, how does Canada look, do you think, globally? I think it's a it's a great uh, segue, uh, Pamela, is that, you know, as Canadians, we're always very humble. We're like, oh, you know, we have these issues, our interest rates are going up here and such like that. But when you look at, essentially, you said the world right now, we're, we're sitting pretty well, right? And we should be pretty proud of where we sit. Um, obviously, we have resources. We're not talking about shutting down, you know, the steel mills uh, come January, like other countries, right? And our currency is very strong. We always look at versus the U.S. Oh, it's not that strong. But like versus other countries, we're doing very well. And our central bankers are, you know, at least being respected. So other central bankers around the countries are are being questioned. Like, and, you know, here that they seem to be, you know, the capital markets are responding in a positive way that the central bankers here in Canada are doing the right thing and doing it at the right speed. And yes, people have lots of, you know, in terms of money in their bank account, and more importantly, jobs are very, you know, strong still. So Canada definitely stacks up uh, pretty well in terms of what's going on in the world, for sure. How is then the Canadian consumer? And we can look at this from a couple of different angles, perhaps, but the idea of, of consumer discretionary, the idea of consumer staples, we are often told and reminded how much debt, you know, household debt there is and, and how squeezed the consumer could be. What are you seeing so far? I think it's one of those interesting things is that, you know, the market or, or the maybe the newspapers automatically want to think everything's binary, like everything's great or everything's really bad. And, yeah. and, and probably we're more in the middle. So the Canadian consumer, much like the, even the U.S. consumer, many consumers around the world had a great time the last few years. I think um, it's just a little tougher and especially the lower income cohort. You really have to watch energy and food has really taken a lot out there. And so I think this is where, again, there's going to be a bifurcation of what consumer companies do well and what will not do well. And you're, you're, you, you potentially would see trade down. You see people going more to dollar stores, uh, more to discount items. You'll see less of like, you know, we probably talked on these shows before some of my peers, you know, high big ticket items that, you know, people are buying at the Home Depots of the world and Rona's of the world, or maybe even like at the next C-Do. Maybe that is not as 
plentiful uh, in terms of demand going forward as has been the past. And so I do think, you know, we will see, you know, the cohorts are seeing different pains and definitely the low, lower cohort. And that's where stock picking definitely comes into play. But overall, I think the Canadian consumer is doing okay, but they're taking some of the, maybe their growth off. And just because they have to take it from somewhere. And if you have energy prices moving up, you have food moving up, you have to take it from somewhere. And you bought a lot of stuff the last few years. And so, and I think one of the interesting things too is animal spirits we talk about. We talk about more in the market, but when the newspaper every day is talking about recession or inflation, it has an effect on people, right? And, you know, and so I think on the margin, people get a little more cautious. They get a little more cautious about, you know, buying that next truck, for instance. And so I think you just really have to watch what your growth rates are going to be. And you understand that some of this will be, you know, we, we, we pre-bought some of the last few years. Right, we pulled things forward. When you mentioned that, you know, for instance, in comparison to, to Europe that has to make decisions about what it will and won't manufacture, for instance, do you see manufacturing actually coming back to Canada for those very, you know, for a variety of reasons, actually? I think with like a lot of these issues, like, you know, bringing on shore, bringing like oil and gas back to your country, obviously Canada has had the situation, all these things that you, you want to do, they just take time, right? And they really, in many cases, also take government sponsorship because of changing of taxes or changing of just rules. And, um, you know, sadly, usually the, the politicians sometimes need to see a lot more pain before they make that change. But we are seeing that. We're seeing corporations want to do that. But this will take time. And it, again, you just don't shut down factories because there's a reason many of these factories were not here in Canada was a cost advantage. And so really, right. you're, then, you're then weighing off the cost advantage maybe versus certainty. Do we make any chips here? <laughs> Let's just say it's not like going to swing the needle. And so that, that's one of the issues. And, and I think the U.S. is figuring that out as well, that uh, <laughs> we're relying on a lot more people outside of North America for that kind of things. I feel like we need a chip spill or something. You know, that seemed like so much fun for them to hack out in there uh, across things. Hey, Taking a look at this space, the software space, um, let, let's go to the technology side of things. Uh, we've heard a lot about where sort of duration stops and starts, but we also have some homegrown, really good software companies. I'm just curious how that looks right now, if it's part of the diversification story. Yeah, I'll use again the note uh, the, where there's pain, there's gain. And so I think um, one of the themes that maybe I'll, I'll, we don't invest in themes, but one of the things I wouldn't be surprised you and I talk about like 12 months from now is that, you know, more mergers and acquisitions, right? Maybe not right now, but you have every ingredient kind of going a certain way that would definitely increases the chances. And so what I mean by that is cost of capital is going up, the multiples are going down, big companies that were maybe were very prudent and held back from buying uh, these high-priced stocks are now sitting there with great balance sheets. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's it's a lot of big companies in Canada that could do that. And that's where like, you bring up technology. There's definitely some pain and there's definitely some gain. The pain bucket is obviously probably more e-commerce and uh, just the high multiple stocks. Where, but where there could be some gain is the consolidators. There's some big companies in technology, for instance, who have great balance sheets who could take advantage of this. And that's what the analysts are doing. That's what the analysts are doing, right? You know, and so you you have you know vertical market software, some boring companies that essentially with vertical market software means software that you probably don't even notice you're using at work, but is very crucial to your job. But you know you're buying a little less on your iPhone online, but you're still doing that work software. So I do think there's going to be definitely a bifurcation. We're already starting to see that, and M and A could be part of it as well. 
So what do you what do you think investors need to know right now? As sort of a final thought or point. I think what investors need to know now is that you know you've had a great scenario. Things are going to be tougher. I think you you know we just watched. You just think this is going to just turn around and instantly. You know sometimes this takes longer of a, a basing of the market and gyrations up and down, a little more volatility. Please you know understand that you know diversification can really help. And we're here to help with again the 350 investment professionals around the world. We're turning over rocks, and we think it's a very exciting time to find some great companies in this environment. Great, Joe Overdevest. I hope you'll come back soon. It's great to see you, and uh, I hope you, you and your family have a great rest of the summer. Thanks, family. You too. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.